Well, I want to invite you this morning to this thing we call worship. I'm glad you are here. It really is a thing that we call worship um, that you're invited to because um, we are invited into worship because God's sustaining presence comes into this place or is in this place and we encounter the saving grace of Christ, whether it be through the spoken word or, or through the music, the melodies and the harmonies or, or even in the still silence and the, and, the, and the moments of pause. We each have a choice if we're going to participate in it or not in this event, this worship experience. And my prayer this morning is that you would choose to participate, that you would choose to encounter God, to engage with God, to experience this event that we call worship. So let's take a moment to center our hearts as we pray together this morning. Holy God, you sent your son Jesus into this broken world and offered us the greatest gift imaginable. Today we gather in his name to offer our praises to you, the King above all kings, the Lord of all lords. No matter what storms of life may come, your promises endure, bringing hope to our lives. We give this time to you. Fill this place with your presence. Use the words, the music, every sound, and every moment of silence to work anew in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, today is the first week of our three-part teaching series titled Stuffed. And as we move into this Thanksgiving season, I want to start this morning by asking you some rhetorical questions. And I know rhetorical questions are challenging for us here at the DeWitt campus, so please try to keep it in. I know, it's hard, but I'm going to start with some some questions, just keep them internal. Uh, So here's the first one. If you stuff yourself with unhealthy food, will you be healthy? Keep it inside, keep it inside, keep it inside. If you stuff yourself with healthy food, well, I guess I better define that, vegetables. I had some kids in the last service eating Halloween candy up front, so I had to define this. Vegetables are healthy food. If you stuff yourself with healthy food, will you be healthy? Keep it inside. Rhetorical questions. What if you stuff yourself with a mixture of both healthy and unhealthy foods? Will you be healthy? Bigger question. Does what you eat determine your physical health? Bigger question. Does what we stuff our hearts with, spiritually speaking, determine our spiritual health? Biggest question for the morning. Do you feel that your lives are impacted by the things that are going on in the world around you? The relationships, the toxicity. Is your hope impacted by the situations that you live in? Does what we fill our lives with matter? I say that it does. What we fill our hearts with matters. And today we're going to look at what it takes to fill our hearts with hope. Even if the world around us seems to be in despair, even if we surround ourselves with toxic personalities, no matter what situation we're living in, because hopeful hearts, hopeful hearts come from trusting lives. Hopeful hearts Come from trusting lives. And we're going to dive into that here in a couple of minutes.
So have you ever walked into uh, work or, or school perhaps and on, on a Monday and, and maybe it's not the, the best day and, and a coworker or friend um, maybe just a little bit too happy to be there um, says, good morning. And um, what's so good about it? You know, is that's what you want to say. It's really what you want to say, but you've learned not to say that um, to them. And so uh, you, you just grab your coffee and then as you walk by, morning, good morning. Because uh, the last thing you want is the dreaded, you know, it looks like someone's got a case of the Mondays, you know. And, and we all have our bad days, don't we? We all have our bad days. Um, but there's a difference between having a rough start to a day when the situations of our lives and stressful situations invade our lives. Um, there's a difference between that and having a pessimistic outlook on life because we have no hope. A rough day is something that we can get over. Right? A stressful situation, we, we can get over that. But a, but a life without hope is a sad existence indeed. It is truly a sad existence. There's a reason why the word hopeless comes with such negative connotation. A life without hope leads to pessimism and it, and it leads to negativity and, and truly toxic relationships with other people. I feel like, we, um, like we're living in a time and a culture where many people are stuck living miserable lives. I really do. And, and I know it's true for me, and, and maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's true for you. Maybe it's not true for you. But, but I, have, I have family members and close friends who are, who are Christians, and, and, and they, they appear to be hopeless. They appear to be hopeless. You see, they, they watch the, the news notifications on their phones, because that's what they all do now, and, and they keep popping up on their, on their phones about everything that seems to be going wrong continually in the world, all the doom and gloom that's reigning overhead, and, and they don't look hopeful to me. Instead, they seem miserable all the time. It's as though their hope has been crushed or worse yet, that it's been stolen. And right now, more than any time in my life, I feel as though the states of our hearts are at stake, that, that our, our hearts are at stake in all of this. And, and as I talk with folks around town here in DeWitt and in St. John's, and I hear people in the community saying the same thing and asking the same question of me. And they, they, they're asking, how do we deal with all of this toxicity? How do, we, how do we deal with the situations that are going on in our lives, in our day-to-day -day lives as we go to work and as we take our kids to school and as we go to soccer practice and, and sporting events and all of this negativity? How do we deal with it without succumbing to it? And it's especially important to talk about if, in fact, our hearts are at stake in the matter. And I believe that they are. I truly believe that they are. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a hope check. 
I'm going to do something that I used to do in my sixth grade classroom when I was a teacher, and I want to take a rating real quick, and so I'm going to ask you to give me a rating between zero and five. Zero is zero, and you're going to put it on your chest. Five is this. It's five. So one, two, three, four, five. Five being zero, uh, or sorry, zero being zero, five being the highest rating you can give. I would like you to give me a rating right now of your hope right now today. What is your hope? What kind of hope do you have? Go ahead and show me your hope. Zero hope, five hope, four hope, three hope, two hope, one hope, no hope, five hope. What's your hope today? What's your hope? Show me on your chest right now. How much hope do you have in your life right now? All right, thank you. I see a variety of answers. I see some fives, I see some zeros, I see some threes, I see some twos. I I see more on, on the top end and at the bottom end, which doesn't surprise me because if you think about, there's not a lot of people that are in the middle, but there are some. Think about the people in your life. Very hopeful, very unhopeful, some in the middle. On a grander scale, statistics show us that American culture, we, we have become one of the most depressed nations in the world. Does that surprise anybody? No, yes, maybe. According to a study conducted by the Institute of Safe Medication Practices in Virginia, one out of six Americans takes pharmaceutical or psychiatric drugs, mostly antidepressants. Now, don't hear me wrong. Uh, depression is an illness. Mental health is, an, a, a, is a severe illness that requires medical oversight and not a 25-minute teaching from me, okay? <laughs> so hear me say that very clearly. I state that statistic specifically for one reason and one reason alone, and that is the fact that I believe that many times we over-medicate ourselves specifically for the reason that it is easier to medicate a symptom than it is to deal with the root cause, right? Because I have friends who are diabetics who would rather take an injection than to eat healthy food, right? That's, that's where I am, and that's my, my basis of understanding for that. So this is not about anything else. But I think that it's easier for some to take a pill than it is to deal with the real issue, and what all this tends to lead up for me is the reality that this, this, this land of opportunity that we live in and this, this, this idea that this happiness and this land of happiness is in fact a, it's kind of fake. It's kind of a facade. I was talking to Jason uh, about his family vacation to the happiest place on earth that they just got back from. Guess what he told me? Not the happiest place on earth. Anybody been to the happiest place on earth and found it not to be true? A lot of people crying there at the happiest place on earth. I could find a lot more pleasurable places to go where I didn't have to stand in line that long. I guess joy that we strive for in life, maybe it comes from somewhere else. But I still, I still struggle to reconcile this conflict of miserable Christians. Miserable Christians. It seems illogical to me that we can be called followers of Jesus Christ, people who are called to share the good news if we are miserable. How can we be both people of the good news of Jesus Christ and be miserably hopeless? And yet it seems, at least for me, in my family, my close friends who are, who are people of faith, that so many of them are right now. Our mission and purpose is to share the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And our calling and our mission as a church is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. The love and life, life, friends. 
why does it seem like our hope is so often stolen? Why does it, why do we go, how do we go from being people of the good news, of, of new life and of transformation to being people who are miserable? And as I look at my Christian friends and my Christian family that, are, that seemed as though their hope had been stolen, I just ask myself, why? What could happen? What could have happened? And, and then, to top it all off, the unthinkable happened. The unthinkable happened. I heard my father's words come out of my mouth. I know, it shocked me, and I'm so embarrassed. I heard myself say to my son, and it sounded like my father, and, but I told my son the other day, garbage in, garbage out. And then, a few weeks back, while I was in my personal devotional time, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart while I was reading Proverbs, in Proverbs 4.23, I heard the Spirit told me the exact same thing, and it, and it came from this. It said, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I want you to read that with me. It's on the screen. Everybody read it with me, please. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Maybe the reason why my friends seem to have lost their hope is because they let their guards down around their hearts. And by doing so, they allowed their hearts to be filled with the wrong things. Maybe they seem hopeless because they've stopped filling their hearts with God's vision for the future. Perhaps, just perhaps, we feel hopeless sometimes in our broken world because maybe we've let our guards down around our hearts. Maybe our hearts have been allowed to be filled with so much garbage, so much human brokenness that garbage has become all we can exude in the world. Maybe, just, just maybe, this manifestation of hopelessness is just a symptom of a deeper issue. Perhaps our lack of hope comes from, from a deeper place, from, perhaps from an from a unguarded heart that has lost its focus on, on where its trust should be found. Perhaps... Maybe. Pops used to say, garbage in, garbage out. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Well, the first obvious step is that we have to guard our hearts. Yeah, it seems simple enough, you know, be intentional, make good choices. Protect your heart, guide your life. 
But I think the critical issue at this moment, at least for me and my family and my close friends, is that, is that this manifestation of this lack of hope, it just, it's so unsettling. And if a lack of hope is in fact a symptom of a deeper issue, then we can rectify that issue if we can get to the actual problem, right? We can fix it if we know the problem. But to find the root source, we, we have to start with the symptom, because that's, and that's that lack of hope, because that's what's presented itself, and that's what we have to deal with first. So we have to get to the bottom of this issue of hope. So let's, let's talk about hope for a few minutes, um, because there's a difference between what culture tells us about hope and what the Bible says hope is. Isn't that funny how culture kind of confuses the facts? Don't read into that. We can rectify that, though, because the Bible is pretty clear. The Bible version of what the Bible says hope is, is hope is confident expectation of God's promises. Confident expectation means that we are sure that God's promises will happen. So this is not wishful thinking. This is not the same as wishing things are going to happen, nor is it the same as saying I'm waiting for a prayer to be answered. Okay, it's not I prayed this to happen, so I'm hoping that this is going to happen. No, Biblical hope is the, expe- the confident expectation that God is going to fulfill his promise. So it rests in God's promises. And our hope goes beyond faith. Sometimes we confuse faith, our faith in Jesus, with our hope in God's promises. See, faith is our complete trust and confidence in something. Faith in God is, is belief even though we don't see, right? My faith is something that I live out right now. I, 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 my faith is in God now. I have faith today, right? Faith today. Hope relates to God's future fulfillment of his promises. My hope is in God's future action. That's biblical hope. I have confident hope that Jesus will come again. I have hope for God's tomorrow. That's biblical hope. So to better frame our conversation a bit of biblical hope, we're going to turn to Paul's words in Romans 15, 13, and in one verse, and I love it when this happens, in one verse, Paul gives us a very clear, concise understanding of this, this concept of biblical hope and a wealth of information and knowledge. And so in Romans 15, 13, Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's dig into this. The first thing that we find Paul saying clearly is that God is the source of hope. You're like, I came to church for this? Of course he is. But this is a big concept that we can't overlook. God is the source of hope. What this means is, is that the I, the me and the myself, is not the source of hope. God is the source of hope. That means that our world, our hope is not found in our world. Our hope does not come from its leaders, our world's leaders, our world's systems, our world's administrations, or its economy. Our hope is not found in our families, even though we love them dearly. Our hope is not found in our children, even though we pray for them dearly, and we pray for them every day. Our hope is not found in our possessions 
or our positions or in anything of this world, even though sometimes we place our trust in them. What Paul is saying is that the source of our hope, real hope, genuine, authentic, biblical hope, true hope, comes from one place and one place only, and that is from God. And this hope that comes from God provides us with, fills us with, takes us to peace and joy. Hope, Paul says, leads to peace and joy. And this peace of joy, this peace and joy are what we try to replicate in our lives with all the possessions that never seem to satisfy. Did you realize that? This is the reason why the cars, the clothes, the technology, the vacations, and all of the belongings that give us those dopamine rushes never seem to meet that unquenchable thirst that we have. It's because that peace and joy that we seek in life can only be filled by God, who is the source of our hope, a hope which fills us with joy and peace, a joy beyond measure and a peace that passes all understanding. So, we got to go to the next step. How do we get there? How do we build hopeful hearts? Because Paul says that God, who is the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because, why? You trust in Him. Trust is the key. You know, can it be that simple? Anybody who has ever deal, dealt with trust issues will know it's never that simple, is it? Is trust really that simple? Hopeful hearts come from trusting lives. And Paul puts it clearly. It is our trust in God, the source of hope, that allows us to be filled with joy and peace in this life. Paul even goes so far to say that you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if so, if that's the way we get to peace and joy in our lives is to start with hope, and hope comes from trust, then we must get to the nitty-gritty of trusting God, which I honestly say is kind of comical if you really start to think about it. How do you learn to trust God? How do you learn to trust the author of the universe? Every constellation in the sky, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, who numbered the hairs on your head, who counted every grain of sand on every beach, on every shore, on every planet, in every solar system, however you want to conceptualize the universe. How do you learn to trust that? Unfortunately, I go back to my father's words and they'll come out of my mouth again because I'm a simple guy. And when I asked my dad as a kid, how do you learn to trust someone? He said, Tim, you trust someone until they break your trust. And it's always worked for me you trust someone until you break your trust, until you break your trust. And here's the fact. God has never broken his promise. God has never broken a promise. Now, God may have failed to meet a desire that you had, and God may have answered a prayer in a different way than you wanted him to. But here's where I start sounding like my father. Just because God doesn't answer a prayer the way that you want him to doesn't mean he's broken a promise. 
And disliking an answer is not the same as being untrustworthy. If biblical hope is confident expectation of God's promises, then we must define our understanding of trust. And biblical trust is that firm belief of the ability and reliability of of God being able to fulfill His promise. Biblical trust is our belief in God's ability to fulfill His promises. So we have to take the next step to get to this root cause. We have to look at a promise, don't we? And I say go big or go home, right? If we're going to look at a promise, let's look at a whopper, a big one. So I want to go to Revelation because if you're going to look at a hopeless situation, John's Revelation is a pretty good one to look at. And the book of Revelation, I'm going to tell you, it's a challenging book to look at. Most pastors won't even talk about it from a pulpit, but um, I believe that it lends directly to our situation today, in our culture today, and it speaks life to us today. And so I want to talk about it today. And so you see, John received this prophetic revelation, a vision from God while he was exiled to this island called Patmos um, around 70 to 90 in the common era, which tells us a lot of information, just the time and where he was. He was exiled to Patmos because he was preaching the word of God. He was talking about Jesus. And while he was there, he gets this vision. He writes it down. And I just want to give you a little history of what's going on in this time to paint a picture of why God would choose then. Why now? Why that moment to give a vision some 40 to 50 years after Jesus had died on the cross to give a vision for a hopeful future? You see, in 70 uh, Common Era, the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem, completely sacked the city, um, destroyed the lower city, destroyed the, the temple, the first temple, the second temple, completely destroyed. And the Christians and the Jews alike were living under persecution. You want to talk about a hopeless time, political unrest, economic instability, this is it. It's a horrible time. The Roman Empire, their emperor claimed to be a god. And God sends this vision to John on Patmos. And John wrote it down and sent it to the Christian world. And it carried an important message. One that confirmed that God was still on his throne and had a plan for the future and for the world. Not only that, but that Jesus is Lord and that Caesar was not. And this was an important message then, and it's an important message now. Now, you see, John sees this entire vision that God sends of the future, and he writes these letters down. And and John writes all this stuff in Revelation that we have trouble understanding today because he he didn't even have the words to articulate what he was seeing in some of these passages. Anyone who's read Revelation knows it's confusing at times. He didn't even have the words to describe. That's how amazing this vision was. But at the end, he sees this grand, hope-filling, life-giving vision of God's future. And I want to share it with you today because it gives me hope today. And it comes from Revelation 21, and it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Remember, Jerusalem had been destroyed. And I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Everything. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Why? Why would God send this vision to John on Patmos? What purpose would it serve? In a time of great geopolitical distress and economic despair, the church in persecution, why show him this? Can, can you see it? Do you understand why God would share this promise now? This vision that John received, it wasn't for him. It wasn't for him. It was, it was for the ecclesia. It was for the, it was for the church, the assembly. It was, it was meant for them and it was meant for us. It may not have been written to us, but it was still meant for us as the people assembled who worshiped Jesus Christ. Those who received John's letter lived in a time where hope, it seemed out of reach. Rome was in control. Caesar claimed to be God. Religious conflicts and wars were happening everywhere. God's people needed a glimpse of what he had in store for the future, a promise that they could put their hope in and to trust in. And, and we're blessed. We don't live in that time. We don't live persecuted lives like they did. But we still live in a time where we deal with, with conflict and tragedy and brokenness, and tragic death, and illnesses, and cancers, and broken relationships, and estranged children, and, and everything else that our human brokenness and sin has allowed our world to become. We deal with all of those things. We have our own garbage that has invaded our lives. And when our guard goes down around our hearts... God's promises still remain true. And we can find hope in them still today because God is a source of our hope. You see, this promise and revelation of God saying, look, I am making everything new, of a promise where there is no longer this barrier, a distinct boundary between God and the divine, where, where God makes his place with us and there's, there's, we exist with God together in the same place and there's no more sorrow and no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. That's a promise that I put my trust in. That's a promise that I live for and it gives me great hope and I'll tell you why. You see, when I've wrestled with the hard stuff in my life and I mean stuff that I can't talk about because there's little ones in here. I still have hope because I trust in this promise that someday I'm not going to cry about it anymore. Someday the sorrow is going to be gone. When I remember that day, I won't feel the pain anymore. 
Because God's going to be right there by my side. Because he promises that there will be no more pain in that moment. And I believe in that promise, and it gives me hope. And here's the funny thing. It still hurts sometimes. Yes, it does. It does. But here's the funny thing about that promise and the hope that it gives is that it's crazy, but that, that hope leads me to a peace about the whole thing. And I don't understand it completely. That's why that peace that passes all understanding makes a sense that I can't articulate either. But I have a peace about the whole thing that I never had in that moment on that day. And now, years later, I even experience some joy around it, if you can believe that. That because I trusted in a promise that God gave to John on an island of Patmos while he was on, in exile thousands of years ago, a promise that I believe that is true, God gave, the source of hope gave me hope that led to peace in my life that has now stemmed into joy. That I have joy and peace in my life and hope. And God gave me hope. You see, hopeful hearts come from trusting lives. And I wonder, what do you trust in in your life? What promises do you trust in? Because God has never broken his word. And as your trust grows, I guarantee you, you will see your hope grow in this world. And that hope will lead you, it will lead you to a peace and a joy that this world can never offer you. And guard your heart, though. Guard your heart above all else. Because it's going to determine the course of your life. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for the hope that you bring to us in this world. Sometimes the brokenness that surrounds us consumes our vision. Help us to focus our eyes on you, God. Help us to place our trust in your promises and our faith solely in you. Sustain us in this week to come by the power of your spirit. Lord, it's in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. Amen.